Welcome to Discovery and Inspiration, a podcast from the National Humanities Center. I'm Brooke Andrade, Director of the Library at the Center and your host for this episode. As of 2018, there were over 11 million undocumented immigrants living in the United States. Over 3 million of the immigrants were brought here as children, and currently nearly a million of them have been granted so-called dreamer status under the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. Needless to say, the shifting landscape of U.S. immigration policy and discourse have dramatically shaped the lives of these undocumented youths and their families. Our guest today is Angela Stesey from the Anthropology Department at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. This year, as a fellow at the center, Angela has been working on a book project that explores these issues through the lens of one Mississippi family. Welcome, Angela, and thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, and thanks, Brooke, for agreeing to do this. So in your current book project, you're framing the issue of immigrant labor in the United States by telling the story of one family's experiences in Mississippi. What inspired you to write about the lives of undocumented workers in the South and this family in particular? Well, you know, I've been doing research on questions of immigration and labor and race in the South specifically for about 20 years. What inspired me in this project in particular, this was not a project I was ever imagining or planning to write, but this project tells the life story of Danny Vargas, who in 2017, at the age of 22, was basically thrust into the national spotlight when she was arrested by immigration agents in Jackson, Mississippi. She had just spoken at a press conference about an immigration raid that had happened on her home two weeks prior in which all of her family members had been taken. And she talked about her hopes and dreams as an undocumented young person who had grown up in the rural South. And this is when the agents detained her. Danny was a DACA recipient, so she had temporary protection from deportation as part of this Obama-era program. But in early 2017, Donald Trump had just been inaugurated literally weeks prior. And one question on a lot of people's minds was whether he would continue to uphold DACA as a protected status or whether he would rescind the program. We were kind of getting mixed signals as an American public sort of where he stood on this issue. And so when Danny became the second DACA recipient nationwide to be detained by the new administration, she quickly became one of the most recognized names in the immigrants' right community nationally. And in the weeks and months that followed, her life and my life were forever changed and sort of became intertwined in ways that we couldn't have predicted. And that eventually led me to this book project. Yeah, so how did you make the decision to work with Danny on a book? And how do you think having Danny as a collaborator enhances your scholarship? Well, Danny and her family first came to the United States from Argentina in 2001 when she was just seven years old, just weeks before 9-11. So weeks before sort of the entire landscape around immigration in the U.S. transformed dramatically and really changed the ways in which our government and our people thought about immigration. But Danny and her family and I um, moved to Mississippi at about the same time. I was a graduate student um, starting research for what eventually became my first book, Scratching Out a Living, which was about Latinos' race and labor exploitation in the poultry industry. Um, And her parents went to Mississippi, recruited uh, from South Florida by the poultry industry. 
you know, I was really learning about the poultry industry. I was delighted to get to know them. After I moved away, I stayed with her family when I would go back to Mississippi for visits. When I gave a book talk in Mississippi in 2016, it was three hours from where she was living at the time. And she drove to see me and to hear the book talk. And then a few months later was this raid on her home that I mentioned. And she called me from inside a closet hiding, asking me, you know, what should she do and how could I help? And um, at that moment, these sort of long, I don't know, I guess a longstanding research relationship and friendship with this family sort of drew me in. And I, I felt a commitment to trying to help them in that moment. Again, she wasn't taken that day, although her family was. I tried to support her in the following weeks. I got another call when she was detained after the press conference. And so I sort of, in this sort of panic mode with the whole family in detention, became sort of a player in this campaign to try to secure and eventually secured her release. So I guess I would say that what what began as an act of solidarity eventually blossomed into our decision to co-author her story together. She was getting a lot of calls from folks who wanted to tell her story. She kind of wanted to tell her story, but she was uncomfortable. She didn't know these folks. She didn't have trust, you know, with them. And I told her she should write her own story and she didn't feel that she could. So we eventually we agreed to write it together. It sounds like your life and Danny's life were intertwined um, very much at that point. So how do you think her presence in your scholarship enhances it? What does it do? Well, I would say a couple things. One, I would say that ever since I became an anthropologist, I've been really interested in what it means to do politically engaged research, you know, in collaboration with communities on issues that we sort of share a mutual concern and commitment to. And, you know, a lot of the scholarship on politically engaged research is really focused on the development of research questions, on the methodology, you know, how do we carry out research in collaboration with communities. There's not nearly as much on what it means to write collaboratively with people in the communities that we're working with. And so I'm interested in that question. What, is, what does it mean if we really pull this collaboration through, you know, not just sort of the front end of our research design, but actually in the writing of our project? So I guess I would say the, the book is an experiment of sorts. Um, we're trying to combine, I guess, ethnography, testimony, and sort of cultural or social political analysis. And it's on one hand drawing from my expertise on immigrant policing and Latinos in the South, the struggles of undocumented young people, but it's really rooted in this long-term relationship going back to almost 20 years. And ultimately, we're telling the story of Danny's life experiences in order to explore how the lives, more broadly, how the lives of undocumented people in the 21st century have been shaped by our country's sort of hardening discourses and policies on, on immigration since this moment that I mentioned, right, since 9-11. So what can Danny's story sort of tell us about a bigger picture? Um, let's shift to that. What can Danny and her family's experience tell us about the lives of others in similar circumstances? Well, you mentioned in your intro that uh, nearly a million young people in this country are DACA recipients and that they are, I think the figure is around 11 million undocumented people. I can't remember if you said that. Um, a lot of these folks are part of mixed status families, right? So families that have undocumented people, people with DACA status, perhaps U.S. citizen family members, 
what are the different sort of through lines that we see in Danny's story that are common to the undocumented experience? We write about her childhood and her parents working in the poultry industry. Her family was sort of stuck in these low-wage, dangerous jobs and really highly exploited in part because of their undocumented status, the criminalization of undocumented work. And undocumented people really lack a safety net, right? They're not eligible for, for government support. And this comes out in her story. Small things like undocumented people can't legally drive in many states. And so immigrant policing at the local levels means that they live in a constant fear that when they leave in the morning for work, they might not get home to their families. And scholars are, have written about this sort of in talking about deportability, what deportability and illegality does to someone's well-being and someone's sort of life choices. And we, we see that come out really clearly. And then the last piece I think that her story connects to this larger picture is around access to education. So Danny started at college and couldn't continue because it was so expensive. Mississippi is a state which doesn't allow undocumented young people to, to pay in state tuition. So it was very expensive. There's no right to affordable education, even for DACA recipients. All these different pieces of her story sort of connect with the story of really millions of, of Americans. Well, you've illustrated that working on a subject like undocumented migration is complex and brings into consideration a host of issues, the law, civil rights, ethnic identity, economic forces, and regional histories and politics. How does this project attempt to weave a cohesive narrative out of all these dynamics? Did I say this was an experiment? (laughs) I'm trying to answer that question as we work. I think what we're trying to do is weave these issues into our narrative of Danny's life story. This is Danny's story. She has told it to me over many, many, many hours, and I, you know, shared parts of it with her. And part of my role in the book that we're writing is as narrator to help make these connections between her story and bigger picture things. So, for example, we recently wrote the chapter about her very young years when her family made the decision to leave Argentina for the United States, for Miami. And while it's her family's story, in order to understand that, I sort of zoom out and we look at what was happening in terms of the global economy at that moment that forced actually half a million Argentines to flee their country that year. And so her, her family's story is part of a much bigger story in which many, many Argentines come to Miami as tourists and decide not to go home. Similarly, you know, talking about her, when we write about what her childhood was like in a Mississippi poultry town, the difficult housing conditions that they they were able to get their entry into low-wage poultry plant work, you know, the fact that they had to look out the window every morning to make sure there was no immigration agents around before they would step out the door. These are all sort of larger structural stories that are illuminated through Danny's story. There's been so much public attention to this issue in the press and by political figures for years. And even right now, of course, with immigrants working in meat processing plants, which have been ordered to keep running in spite of the risk of COVID-19 outbreaks. What do you hope readers of your book will take away that will help them better understand the issues at play? As you know, DACA is currently still under threat, which has been the case since Danny was, was first detained. But I kind of feel like her, her detention was the writing on the wall, right? It was one of the first moments that crystallized under this new administration that immigration policy was shifting again. 
So a few months later, we saw the Trump administration rescind DACA. And as we're here recording this, we're awaiting the Supreme Court's ruling on the legality of that rescission of DACA, uh, which, which should be announced before the end of June of this year. And this decision, whatever, whatever they decide, is going to impact millions of Americans. So what do we want people to understand? We're trying, through Danny's story, we're trying to address some of the, what I think are some of the more pressing issues of our time. There's immigration and racism, family separation, sort of the disintegration of the American dream. By growing, hopefully, our readers' understanding of how immigration policy shapes and constrains individual lives, we ask them to consider sort of how these different issues matter and how they work together, right? So economic and political and identity questions, right? How these are all sort of bound up. Inequality and disadvantage are structural, right? They're baked into our society. And I think that, I hope that Danny's story will help our readers see that, that structural change is needed to address these big problems, that they're not individual problems. Our other hope is that by telling Danny's story, readers will be able to recognize their own troubles and victories in her story and sort of cultivate empathy. I think one person's story can do this in ways that statistics and um, numbers can't ever, right? Sort of cultivate empathy with the hopes and dreams of immigrants and encouraging readers to embrace a shared humanity, which is kind of central to the mission of the National Humanities Center too, is it not? It is indeed. Thank you so much for joining me today and and bringing it back around to the National Humanities Center. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in. Please join us again for the next episode of Discovery and Inspiration from the National Humanities Center.